Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Sitting down in the podcast room today, we have Barbara Ray, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Growth at WIC Marketing and a fantastic co-presenter at this year's PCBC when um, we interacted there. I, I wasn't able to attend the full session to another conflict, but I made it to the, to the second half and I was like, hey, we, we need to get you on the podcast. You can share all these great insights. Uh, so Barbara, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Kevin. I'm really glad to be here and glad that we had a chance to chat for a little while at PCBC also. Yeah. Uh, anytime someone has research, especially like research with a capital R, the kind that like was done not using, you know, just Google forms and a, and a social post as a, <laughs> as a way to collect the data, we love it. You know, data isn't just thing, things that, data isn't just something that comes off of, um, you know, marketing reports, but you can actually create data by asking, asking uh, questions in a logical, strategic way. So yeah, excited great. to hear more about that. Tell, tell us a little bit about the, the project and kind of the origin of it. I will. So like you, our clients tend to be home builders, master plan developers. And we know that that group of buyers who are their customers have been through a lot, as have most of us over these last few years. And a lot has changed. And much as we like to think we know everything we should about those buyers, we knew that so much had changed that it was really time for us to get some firsthand information from not only buyers, but also from prospects about their attitudes toward home buying. How how did it go for those who bought? And how is it going for those who are still in market to buy? Um, so that's why we invested in this survey in the research. Um, and it's a different kind of study than some that are done. It's an attitudinal segments kind of result that comes out of this, meaning that we aren't in it for the demographic data, although we do gather some of that, but the groups are not established based on any kind of demographic data. Rather, it's about how people respond to a bank of questions about how they feel about the process and how they went through it. So we um, we learned some pretty interesting things from this group and also actions that we as marketers, sellers of homes um, can put to work. I'm really interested to hear all about it, but especially if views around housing and builders are as polarized as the views on everything else in the world today. I mean, that's is, is that kind of why the attitudinal approach was taken of, just dig into that a little bit more for those who aren't familiar that's, with that approach. I, that's such a great question. Um, and and no kidding, like you, we can argue over, you know, a cup of coffee as much as Pancakes anything. Waffles the other days. Yeah, all of it, all of those. Things. Um, and so that's some of it, yes. But also because we have done this kind of research, research with some of our clients in the past, we know that it is really far more insightful than, well, you know, ages 45 to 55 plus, and they have three kids and whatever, like, what what can we dig into that's going to give us a little more um, meaningful information that's going to allow us to create different experiences, create different content, create different stories that are going to be more impactful for the brands. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, there are things that affect how people shop and why people shop for a home that certainly are related to age, but I think it's mostly, it's just a better approach to, to talk about what people uh, care about and, and what they're interested in more so than just age or gender. Well, so true. And, you know, we, those of us who have been doing this a while, we know that that making that emotional connection with the buyer is what's going to move them to action. Not just like, oh, I noticed you're 45 and you have three children. So here, like that's right. how right. this works, right? And it's not, it's not true right now, but typically the price premium for new construction over existing is so high that you have to um, now I gotta be careful here. Cause I, one time, Barbara, a college professor told me that if I was going into marketing, I was basically like signing a pact with the devil to manipulate oh. people and, you know, like make them. Oh. So <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> real, he was real subtle about that. It was <laughs> like a, I think it was an ethics class or a history class. And he was like any marketing majors in here. Um, but the, yeah, it just, it just, you can, you can focus on, on the wrong things for the wrong reasons if you, if you want to, but when you're going to, and I'm using air quotes for those of you listening, overpay for something, you better be, or asking the customer to overpay for something, you better make sure you get emotion in there. And that's, I don't throw anything at me. Don't cancel me for saying that. It's not that the value isn't there in new construction, everyone. It's just that if you just give them a bullet list of logical reasons why you should pay more, that's not going to be enough. It's never enough. I think that's a great way to put it. And I, um, I also think there's something, you know, you're asking someone to spend a lot of money, whether it's a whole lot more than where they would spend it somewhere else or it isn't, it's, it still is likely their biggest purchase that they're going to make. And I think they deserve a good experience out of all of that. Not only how is it with that salesperson, back and forth conversation. How is it with the mortgage professional, assuming there is one, but also like, what's the dream of what they're buying? What's the story that you're telling them about this place, a master plan in particular, you know, you've got a whole life that you're selling to people, if you will. And they deserve that. They deserve it to be more than, you know, I go up to the 7-Eleven and I'm buying my candy bar and I'm out. It's not, it shouldn't be that transactional. It should be something bigger and more important to them. Yeah. So and, and the last part before we start to dig in is yeah. it will naturally become more transactional as we do more online or like that. That's the, that's the natural flow. Uh, good marketers and good companies will push against that and be more thoughtful and find mm -hmm. ways to do what we're talking about here. But the natural inclination will be, well, now the customer has all the information. They just need buttons. They just need, you know, diagrams and they'll, they'll be able to just do it all Thank on their own. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not, again, the, the best way to be approaching this. Okay, so um, as we go into some of the data and takeaways, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to um, a, a landing page that Barbara has put together that gives you access not just to this uh, research report, but also an interactive tool that lets you kind of play around with the data yourself, which I think is awesome uh, in concept and in practice. I played around with it a little bit right after the talk. Uh, when you sent me the link. And I think it's it's really, really fun um, to kind of get your hands dirty on it. And just, because I think there's there's the what the data says, there's the expert interpretation of the data. And we'll talk about those two things primarily today. But the really fun thing, which is also dangerous, but it's fun, is pontificating on what else might that 
hint at. That's not overtly in the data. And so that's what the tool I think lets you really play around with. It's like, I wonder if, and you can go in and see for yourself. So Barbara, what are the biggest takeaways um, that you'd want to talk about with everyone today from the, from the report? Yeah. So, so the biggest takeaway has to do around these cohorts or segments. And when you do attitudinal research, typically by attitude, people are going to end up being sorted into three, maybe four different groups identified by their shared attitudes. In this particular study, it sorted out into three. And typically those would be pretty similarly sized groups. However, one of the groups was much smaller in this study, and that group was 22% of the buyers who told us they felt confident and satisfied with their home purchase process. That's not the number that's supposed to be small, Barbara. <laughs> You're right. And so we were like, wait, could you check it again? <laughs> Are you sure you got that right, research partner? And she insists that, yes, she got that right. And again, uh, just the, the heading of that category one more time is what? Confident and satisfied. I mean, those are two strong words. Mm -hmm. those, it's those the are... place that like we all want to be. Um, it's if we've got a confident and satisfied buyer, they're not blasting us on social media. They're not giving our customer service department a hard way to go. They're probably not in touch with our legal department. They're probably not telling, you know, you know, and it rolls downhill and you put your staff even in that kind of an environment. If they're dealing with people who aren't confident and satisfied all day long, you have staff turnover. I mean, it just goes on. The list goes on and on and on of that being an unhappy place to operate, not only for the buyer, but for everybody else who's involved. So 22%. We're killing it. We're doing great with but Brian Boero and Mark Davidson from Thousand Watt. If you're listening to this episode, they're some of the best people in what I jokingly call the used home world in the research uh, and branding phase. You guys need to do the same exact study for used homes. Cause I would be, I would, one of the things I always think is interesting comparatively speaking, cause I argue with a lot of realtors and brokers on Twitter just for fun. Um, <laughs> cause I, cause I'm strange and I wonder, they always talk about how everyone's so unhappy with new construction and new construction is terrible. But I'm really curious what those correlators would be on someone buying, you know, an existing home, a resale. I am too. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's, that can be a part two that you guys can work so, on. That would be really interesting to the, the The people, there's always haters and skeptics and everything, Barbara, but the people who don't want to listen, probably owners or presidents who don't want a president of humble organization who doesn't want to admit that that might be a number that relates to them is they'll be like, well, you're comparing us to someone who's thinking about being confident and satisfied about their purchase of a purse or, uh, you know, a, a new family pet. Right. And that's not fair. Mm -hmm. So I, anyway, mm -hmm. I, you don't, yeah. you shouldn't need that research, by the way, yeah. you should just <laughs> take the feedback and improve, but that would be interesting. <laughs> fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So that leads. Okay. So we're starting off with the depressing stuff and then, yeah. Well, I'll tell you more about the other side of a circle, basically 22% confident and satisfied. Yeah. 38% felt burdened and disappointed. <clears throat> no buzzer. Um, and 40% 40% felt stressed and regretful. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's a big group um, of kind if of. If this bad was NPS, net promoter score, we would say basically we're negative. Okay, got it. Right. I mean, like we're yeah. The majority of people are because again, you you have to think about practicality. Mm -hmm. If you made someone pick between those three things, mm -hmm. and that middle one's still pretty like negative in its impression. Yeah. That you would imagine that someone is on if they're like 61% towards the confident and satisfied, they might lean or or the other. I guess it's fair, you could go either way, but both both those two are are no bueno, not places we want our customers to be. No, they really aren't. And and so that's really the those are that's one of the biggest key findings is how those people sorted out. And then in the research, we get much deeper into what went right and wrong for these people, what was important to them that they didn't get. Um, but the, like if I had to give it in a sentence or two, what didn't go right is that they didn't have the right information that they needed to feel confident in that decision. They didn't feel like they had the right support from the people that they interacted with, whether that was the on-site salesperson or the mortgage professional that was involved sometimes even their realtor, but they, they weren't getting what they needed. Even if they did or didn't know that they needed to have that, they weren't yeah. getting tools of making a really successful move. Um, the other piece that I think kind of is even the umbrella over all of this, certainly it's all encompassed in it, is this issue of trust. And so of this group, the survey data showed us that 70 77% of the buyers prioritize trust in their home builder relationships. I even thought it might even be higher than that, but 77%, that was their top priority. Yet 21% is the percentage that actually highly trust builders. Hmm. So there's a massive gap there. The other number is that 51% trust their real estate agents. So oh, twice as much as builders, still both well under that level of priority. Yeah, 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 it sounds like ratings of um, political sides of the aisle. Neither one of them is positive. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, Fifty-one percent, right. I guess, is technically just barely positive. But um, All right. Yeah, that's interesting. And so, so a lot of what we take out of that is, um, you know, what obviously that's a place you've got. You have to close the gap on that. You no business is going to um, operate as well as it might if it's in a low trust environment where only 22% of their customers are satisfied and confident in the work that's happening. So there's a, there's a lot to fix for a lot of reasons, but it all comes down to what's that customer's experience with your brand at every touch point along the way. And so that can be when they're those buyers that are just now shopping, how are they encountering the brand on the website and the advertising how is it when they actually come on site? We, we as an industry tend to spend a lot of money to get them to come on site when they do. And yeah. how's that experience going? Is somebody there? And if they are, how's it going? And do they leave feeling better than when they showed up? And how's the trust being built or eroded through every step, whether that's email campaign or again, through marketing and advertising, as well as those one-on-one -on -one conversations that they're having with people, but every opportunity there that maybe gets leveled up a little bit, maybe gets a different kind of attention right now and where that brand shows up better than the guy down the street positions a brand 
to have a happier customer and to have one at all, you know? Yeah. And trust is obviously a broad word because it's, it's trust with a capital T is built on lots of trust, like small pieces of trust that have been built up and, and confirmed. So like it, consistency is required. We don't have any consistency at all. You're never going to get to a trustworthy relationship with somebody. But I, I just think about how, so I'm not defending builders, but I am saying it's been really hard. If you take the last three years as an example, mm-hmm. uh, like I, I had someone uh, who's going to be speaking at our online sales and marketing summit in September say, builders generally just aren't good at branding Kevin and they're a branding expert. And I could just, I just can't figure out what they're doing. And I was explaining that, you know, you might be a semi-custom, give customers a lot of options builder. And then the pandemic happens, orders go through the roof. And what does everyone do? They streamline their product. They say less selection, less choice, because the demand is there and I can't manufacture to, to the degree that the, the consumer wants me to when I have all this personalization and choice built into it. And, and he's not wrong when he said this, he goes, but they can't do that and have a brand. Like if you're, if your communication and messaging is so, I guess what I'm trying to say is our, our product is so unique, of course, in all of the different pieces that go into it. So when I think of things that underlie trust, this is how I got here, Barbara, is you have to have consistency, but you just think about the struggle that that builders have, which then lead to struggles that marketers have connecting with the customer of, we don't even necessarily, you know, uh, install a roof shingle exactly the same way every time. Times 10,000 different things in each home, plus all the mm-hmm. different materials, plus all the different manufacturers, plus uh, different developers that we're partnering with, plus different real estate. Like, how do we get this level of consistency that can foster and grow trust with something as complicated as what's going on. Did did you get that answer for us in here? Is that? I I might have to work on that one a little longer. I think, I think that you make such a good point and what surprised us so much about this data was because we know it's in an industry where people really do care so much about Mm -hmm helping people find home, helping people get home and who have been like in a war zone the last few years in terms of supply chain and labor. And just to build the house was not right. an easy task, right? Um, particularly uh, not an easy task over these last few years and managing the, str- the heavy stream of buyers who were in a panic to try to get in when they could. And all, you know, I mean, it's just been so much for them to manage that it's, almost understandable that this is kind of where we are right now. And we, I will say that we looked at um, buyers, most closely at buyers, and this data is representative of those who purchased between November of this past year and March of this year. But we also studied buyers all the way back to January. And there is a slight shift of improvement in the buyer experience between those pre and post rate bikes. And we think, you know, maybe that's because builders could catch their breath ever so slightly 
make some shifts, you know, like realize, okay, we, you know, things are shifting. We've got to pay a little more attention here. And besides we could actually breathe because now we have windows and, you know, all the other things that we're trying to put into our houses. Right. So maybe things are on a positive trajectory in some cases. We, we just yeah. saw a, kind of a hint like of the, the factory, so to speak, which I know I'm not, I'm not saying homes should be built in factories mm -hmm. or they are built in factories. But if you just think about the, the, process of putting together the actual product that in and of itself to your point could have blown up a whole bunch of the the older data points and and, and people that you, that you all interacted with yeah yeah i think uh, that's that's some that's a ray of sunshine barbara i appreciate that mm -hmm. at least it's it's yeah. trending a little bit better just by the factory kind of being put back in order, so to speak. Yeah. I, yeah. And just, I mean, people are people, including people who work for home builders, you know, and it's been a lot and everybody's been through a lot mm -hmm. outside of work, outside of buying a house, just, you know, the world has thrown a lot at all of us. And so it's understandable that, that we've all been pressed in a lot of different areas. Um, still for us, it's a really insightful um, view of this kind of information and for us a huge opportunity for the builders and developers who are like okay I mean those are the people who are going to be bringing me money <laughs> by buying my houses like I need to know what's in their head right now and what is going right for them and what is not going right for them and the things that we would think builders would want to do more of like they're not all that hard and they're not Oh, let's not, go. Let's go through some of the not hard ever. stuff. That'll be that sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, some of it is, and some people do this all the time anyway. But you know, do the secret shopping, but do it a little differently. Like put on the glasses of somebody who has not bought a home before, because there's a you know, first time through, it's a pretty intimidating process, and it's a big expense, and it's all kinds of stress wrapped up into that for many many reasons. When they hit your website, the first thing they and any other buyer tell us they want to see, they want pricing. They want that transparency. They want it to be consistent everywhere. They want to understand. They don't want to have to go behind the secret curtain to start getting information. They want to know how much I'm going to self-disqualify if I, it's not even remotely possible for me, but yep. make that easy. And then make every single step of that journey something that's going to make sense for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing yet. Not for you, the marketer, not for you, the salesperson who's been on the website a hundred times, but, you know, like figure it out what that journey really needs to look like for those people. Sign up on the email list. How's that really going? And, you know, what are you really getting? And does the cadence make sense? Is the information there? Are you just hitting me up for more information? And, you know, you're asking more of me and I'm still trying to get information. But looking looking at everything through the eyes of the home buyer, every possible step, and then you know, walk the models, shop the competition, but really get in their shoes for what is going on in their world right now is, and some people are doing it. Some people maybe haven't done it for a little while, but that's a first step is get in, get in their space and make sure that every touch point is something that's going to make sense. And I, I'm sure that you walk models like I do all over the place. And, um, I've gone in where people have been there and the experience has been fantastic. And I've gone in others where there's nobody home and others where the guy's been on his phone watching YouTube and eating a sandwich and hardly interrupts himself for a few minutes. Yeah, mine to... was a collection of all those things kind of put together. It was the number one selling community in Charlotte, North Carolina. Number mm -hmm. one in terms of volume. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, two model homes in a park. Sales rep mm-hmm. was not there. There mm-hmm. was no sign. It was unlocked. The lights were all off. The kitchen was covered in brochures, every part of the island, different brochures and pieces of paper in stacks. Mm-hmm. He had jerry-rigged up um, the cable to the TV that wasn't supposed to have cable. And Unsolved Mysteries was playing at like volume 80 when I opened the door. Spent wow. 15 minutes there, never saw anyone and left. Number one selling community in Charlotte, North Carolina. So obviously none of that matters is what I hear of. It's like, does that stuff really matter, Kevin? I'm like, well, let me tell you the story of this number one selling community in Charlotte. So maybe not if you're underpricing your homes or overpromising what you're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. but it's going to catch up to you at some point. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is so well said, everything that you just said. And, you know, it. you can make the argument, I'm going to sell houses anyway, so why do that? You know, why worry about it? Somebody's still going to come by my houses. And maybe, and maybe in that community. If, but, if, if the right. overt, like, but that's the thing, the messaging doesn't say that. I, I worked mm-hmm. for a home builder that was at the extreme low end of the price scale when I first got started in Columbus, mm-hmm. Ohio. We had mm-hmm. homes from the 70s, uh, t- you know, single car townhomes from the 70,000, uh, single family homes from like the 170s, 180s. There's almost this implicit agreement that occurs. It's not printed on a brochure, but they're like the buyer knows they really can't afford anything else. And the builder knows that we exist to serve this entry level mm-hmm. group of people. Right. You can put an asterisk on maybe if that implicit assumption is is strong enough that you can get away with some of that mentality, mm-hmm. but it still defines what where you won't be able to go in the future, meaning that builder could never, if they needed to, move up the food chain. They are now relegated forever in that bucket and price point, and at least in central Ohio. That's such a great way to put it, and that's so true. They have, they have built a brand intentionally or otherwise that is just what you described but it can't be something else because it's already that at least not without a whole lot of pain and struggle and that's 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 the other thing i would tell people is no you don't have to do it all but it could be easier you Mm -hmm. could make more money it Mm -hmm. it could it could be more consistently pleasant for all involved yeah I think that's a lovely. <laughs> Usually, it's a sign of someone who's not really that involved in their own business. You know, when you, yeah. when you talk to an owner and and you say, "Hey, how how much of well, I have a person who runs this for me and that for me, and I you know I check in on the business a couple times a week, Kevin." I'm like, "Well, oh. well, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. That's different." Yeah. And it, and it, and it does vary so dramatically. I'm sure that you see the same thing. You know, you have, you have what you just described. And then there are some other brands who are just all over it, trying to create the best possible experience that they have, that they live their brand values. They do all the things, you know, and it would stand to reason to me anyway, that that other brand is going to be able to ask a premium for the price of their homes. And they're going to be a little more likely to get some referral and they're going to weather rough times a little bit better and so on. Yeah. So one of the things that the, the research talks about is that they feel like they need more support. Right. What are some ways that, that you feel like builders should be thinking about giving more? So we talked about transparency of, give them access information, give them pricing and, and kind of these things that we all know. I mean, if you, even if you've kind of blinded yourself, if you sat down quietly for 10 minutes and with a sheet of paper, 
you'd know those things that people deserve to know uh, without having to hunt at all. But how, how do we go from beyond just transparency to actually offering support to customers? That's a great question. Among the greatest things is the buying process. There's a lot of insecurity on the part of buyers around how does this really work? What am I supposed to do? When am I supposed to have it? What do I need to decide? And how do I decide? Um, mapping out that whole process, whether that's in an app or it's a PDF or you know whatever, whatever it is, however it is, but have that be something that gets into the buyer's hands early so that they feel more confident walking through the buying process with your brand than with someone else's. That's huge. The other area of major insecurity around um, not feeling that they had enough support is around financing. So while that may not apply to every buyer and somewhat less to the 65 plus buyers, maybe 55 plus because they've moved equity out of one home into another and they're not financing, it's not, not, not part of their story either. But understanding financing, we had a big part of the um, stressed and regretful group didn't understand interest rates. Right. And therefore we're very upset about the affordability of said mortgage, like help to educate people around those things, whether that's with the mortgage professional, it's asking better questions up front, all of that. But those are two major areas of insecurity around. Any, any product that has a high amount of, um, there's a bigger word here. I just can't think of it. Um, but, but, where the concept of financing and, and it's almost like the, the loan and financing process is so integral to how a home is going to be purchased that you can't just say, well, when you meet with our mortgage people, they'll, it's like Oz behind the curtain. Well, let's get you excited first based upon me just asking you two questions it's one of those um, cognitive dissonance things where the consumer says, there's no way, like it's a full on magic trick. If you can ask me two questions and then say, okay, well, I know what you can afford now and we can start, you know, going shopping or let's get excited and fall in love. It's it, right. even if you could do it with two of the perfect questions, it wouldn't make sense to the consumer. And then you're telling them you'll have to wait to meet the wizard until after, you know, we go through everything else first. And then, now the fear of loss of if I don't qualify and this is stressful and already beginning to, I mean, every house that I've ever built and every person I've ever talked to who has ever built a house felt like they were stretching financially to the maximum that, that made sense for them. Right. But then maybe not uh, certain time periods like 2006, 2007 probably wasn't true. Uh, maybe parts of the pandemic now it's not true for some people, but most people who move into a new home a couple months in think, oh my, I'm an idiot. Why did I not add that extra two feet to this room? Or why did I not do X, Y, and Z? Because no one was ever really able to get through to you what the financing of this price point meant to mm -hmm. you. And so the fear was too high. People were talking at you, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yep, yeah, but I, I know I used to pay $2,000 a month and $500 more still sounds like a lot more every month. And so, but did you, did you know that when you go to add on that third car garage later, the 
the cost is going to triple for the same size thing than if you just did it now, you know, like anyway. Yeah. I think a lot of that, but, but the, so, so are you, you saying that conversation needs to be more thorough or, and earlier in the process or, or more again on, on the website or in the, in the sales um, experience? I would say both. I don't have a proof from the data to say that, but throughout the whole process that showed up for them as a big concern, the, the lack of security or support around financing in particular, um, they just, I, I, you know, I would say early, often make it easy. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I actually, I have one more kind of example or story of, of how I think ah. this is playing out really interesting. So, um, we, and again, we did the same thing. I was just saying that we've done uh, every of the other four times we've built a house. We did not finish our entire basement in this home. We finished uh, one room so the kids could go down and play and a bedroom and a bathroom, but there's a whole other part of uh, the majority of the basement is unfinished. We've been in the house now a year and a half. We're going to finish the basement. And the cost is ridiculous. It's, you know, close to three quarters of the price of my first house that we built uh, in 2005, I think, mm -hmm. in Hedder, Ohio. <clears throat> so that was just like, oh, we're, we're morons. This is, this is, why did we do this? <laughs> I knew better and I did it anyway, right? <laughs> well, one of my wife's concerns is that currently there's just a door. It's an eight foot or a, uh, five foot wide door four, 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 I think it's four foot wide door into the unfinished space. And they're going to open that up to a certain dimension. It was like 18 feet wide. So it'd be a cased opening. And my wife was concerned that it wouldn't feel open enough. Okay. And this is also just a story of the irrationality of human beings. Like 18 feet is really big. <laughs> like go upstairs, any of our openings to any of the other rooms. It's, it's not 18 feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, She's like, I know, but I just, I think it could be a foot bigger here or a foot bigger there. It ends up being like four feet total that she thinks she might want to pay a little bit more to get it open up all four feet. And just imagine being able to have this conversation as a home builder with your customer. Because I, I almost no one would outside of a fully custom builder, maybe. The project manager um, said, you know what? How about we do this? How about we go ahead and do it in 18, the 18 foot that's on the current plan? We don't charge a change order. As soon as you see it rough framed, if you look at it and you say, no, I'd like those four feet added. We'll just do the actual cost to make that change. We don't have to decide now. It's no big deal. And or if you want to put on these goggles, I can show you what that would feel like in a virtual reality setting. And I just thought, mm -hmm. okay, you bastards are still way too expensive. Okay, that, so that doesn't erase the my annoyance at the expense right. like that is such a common sense approach to this that that will lead to her ultimate trust and satisfaction exactly 100 percent. and think of how extremely helpful they were in that whole process of like we get it you can't visualize it so we're going to help you there are two different ways you yeah. can visualize it and take the pressure out of you have to tell me by five today, just tell me whenever, but first let's get you more information. Let's be more helpful to getting you to feeling confident about the choice. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's a great example of that. The other major finding that we come out of this with is that 
a, a huge place to make a difference for these buyers right now is in being relentlessly helpful. Like that was very helpful to you. Would you still move forward with the project if they never gave you either of those ideas? Probably. And would you like it? Probably. Maybe, maybe but we, we would have stalled probably yeah. just because of my wife being frozen. Like, I don't want to make that decision today. How about tomorrow? And then how about tomorrow? And then a week goes by, months go by. Mm -hmm. right? And that again, that's well, not good for anyone. No, that guy's not making any money from you either, right? You know, while you're sitting here not deciding and nobody's particularly happy at the moment. So by being more helpful, by giving you more information, you're able to, both of you, keep moving forward. And that's kind of the same thing that we we think about with this buyer and home buyer relationship is what else do they need? Well, if what they're struggling with is I just can't picture my furniture in this house, I don't know, whatever it is, or I don't know what I really like here or there, like get somebody in front of them that can help them with that part of the thinking. I really don't know if I can make the numbers work, but get somebody in front of them who can really break it down and what's that really going to look like and how's it going to look like for this house or that house help them get the resources that they need and the builders who grab onto that and actually are the guy who's more helpful than the ones around them, that's going to pull people to them because it's going to be easier to get comfortable with that builder. Now, are they going to move, you know, two states away to go work with the easy builder? No, but as long as they're the better, easier choice in the area, the one that's yeah. being more helpful, the one that is giving better support helping them to feel more confident about their choice. We're pretty sure that's going to lead to more sales and certainly to people. Well, and I think this is why I, I continue to believe more strongly that we're headed towards a more stark contrast between, um, I mean, production building is a word that people like to throw over mm -hmm. the vast majority of what home builders do now. Mm -hmm. But I think there really is going to be two distinct groupings of you're building a entry-level first time no choice here it is take it or leave it product that is truly kind of manufactured uh, in ways even beyond than than we're talking about now and then there will be like the the high-end custom builders will be like the how a lot of the production builders let you make a, a couple of choices well like it's so so these distinctions are going to become even more important i guess is what i'm saying in that um you might say, well, I don't need that trust because I'm that, I'm that, I have a fantastic location. I'm like, yeah, you do today. That's awesome. But then you're going to sell out of all those and your next location might be a B. So, so it all still has to be consistent with the, with, with the experience that you'd want every customer to have, not thinking about it. Like maybe that's one of the biggest takeaways I hope most people hear from this is you, you can segment people that you're talking to in advertising. You should not segment your buyers. Your buyers in all communities deserve this minimum standard that should be probably higher than what the standard is for most people listening in even their A locations. Like it, it just, it's not, it doesn't compute. I think that's such a great way to put it. And it speaks to that bigger concept of the strength and longevity of a brand. And as things continue to shift in the market and, and you hinted at it, you know, with different changes in production or not production building and different approaches to building homes and different approaches to building communities and neighborhoods and all of that, 
a strong brand is going to serve that company well as they navigate these changes down the way and yeah. how the customer I don't think anyone's that brand, you know, is where that comes from. Unfortunately, there isn't really anyone of size where you'd say they've done it perfectly. Uh, and I, there's a whole lot of things that I don't really agree with how this particular organization has done, done things, but it's just an example that I'm pulling up. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when Century Communities decided to go towards a one style of, of product and customer experience, mm -hmm. that was more take it or leave it, here it is, mm -hmm. uh, buy it when it's finished, buy it online, click a couple buttons, add to cart if you want to. They called it something different, and and it's Century Complete. It's not Century Communities. They're they have two different brands, two different product lines. That's more thoughtful than how most builders approach it. Where again, they just say, "We're changing everything." Like all the included features are out of these homes now. All these included features are in these. You know, it's just constant adjustment of the product at scale that makes it impossible for any consumer to get a sense of what does this brand represent. Um, and I, mm -hmm. other fascinating discussions, because it seems like the overall trend is collapsing brands in on themselves, um, which makes a lot of efficiencies. But then you talk about a builder who operates in 10 states and all just has one brand, even though they might sell single family townhome product and like this whole house, house of brands versus, uh, you know, just a, a, a single brand is also an interesting part of this whole thing too mm -hmm. and and is something yeah we that's not that's not why you're here but okay, we go. Could go down that rabbit hole for a while too i'm sure oh <laughs> uh, well barbara thanks so much for for coming on and talking about the the research project again check out the link in the show notes it'll take you over there where you can download the report as well as use that interactive tool and get a whole bunch of other great insights from the folks at wick so thanks again great thank you kevin appreciate you having me you bet Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one? Or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peek, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof. <laughs>